Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control. Glad to have you along with us on the podcast today. Check out Blue Water Climate Control online on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate, or you can check them out on their webpage at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. With Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Tennessee trying to lick their wounds from the Georgia loss and turn and set their sights on Kentucky in a game at home that you feel like Tennessee absolutely has to win. Guys, we'll put a final bow tie on Georgia after hearing Jeremy Pruitt on Monday, Rob, and after seeing the game and rewatching the game. What's your kind of final takeaway from Tennessee's uh, second half collapse, fourth quarter collapse, if you will, third quarter collapse against the Dogs? My biggest takeaway was he had his quarterbacks back, probably. Um, my second biggest one probably that he saw – a lot. Of, I mean, he, he focused a lot more on the on the mistakes, on the lack of execution, whereas to me, just how much. And I don't dispute that. I mean, Tennessee would have, I think, you know, could have gotten that game into the fourth quarter had they not had ten penalties, had they not had three turnovers. But man, Georgia was a lot better physically than Tennessee was, than more so than I anticipated going into that. My final takeaway is the fact that I thought the defense performed pretty well. I mean, yeah, they had a couple of moments, but and well, they didn't tackle great, but. I mean, you know, as Rob just alluded to, they're, you know, a couple of short fields and, you know, a, a, you know the, the, the defensive touchdown from being right there in the, in the fourth quarter, even with an offense that, you know, only crossed midfield on its own, not counting the end of the game where Georgia was just letting them run out the clock one time, one time. And, you know, had Tennessee punted on uh, first down, you know, during all that turnover barrage, what would, you know, what would, what would the score of the game ended up being? I mean, it would have been like what a one score game. Uh, you know, I, it's one of those things where Tennessee defensively, I thought showed they had a little something, you know, they're not to Georgia's level as far as pure talent on defense, but I thought schematically and stuff, they had a good game plan. And Jeremy pointed out on Monday, you know, it's like Georgia gave us the call. We were able to put in our perfect call and we still messed it up. Yeah, that's a Jeremy Pruitt staple. They've ne- they've never made a lot. Of, they haven't made a lot of bad defensive calls. They haven't executed some of those defensive calls, but they haven't made many bad defensive calls. But I I, I do think that 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 they had a good game plan, and I thought that he was in Kirby, you know, and and Munkin's kind of ears and headset to know exactly what was coming there for about a quarter and a half. They were they were really pretty good there, and um, you know I, I will credit this defense and say this about this defense. They've been put in three really rough situations this year. When you go back to the botched punt against South Carolina, yep, they didn't give up any points in that one. And then they had, they were put in two bad situations in the third quarter to start the second half against Georgia and got two, three and outs and gave up two field goals. The, the defense's ability to handle adversity when bad things have kind of happened their way has been pretty impressive to me. I mean, I, I think that jumps, that jumps out immediately about kind of where, the mentality of the defense is. I think the offense has to develop that mentality. But I like, Rob, what the defense has been able to do when they've been put in really bad situations. Yeah, I mean, the numbers don't look great at Georgia, but I think, I mean, it just, they, they just wore out. Like, at one point in the second half, you know, when Tennessee – was a murder. It was it, – well, and at one it, – it, Tennessee's last little meaningless drive made the numbers look a little better. But at one point, like, I guess it was towards the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, Georgia had run 69 offensive plays to 42 for Tennessee. I mean, that's not sustainable. 
And and I, and I think that's when they kind of unraveled a little bit. But I would, I mean, if I'm proven, I'm encouraged by what I saw from the defense for the most part. I mean, they gave Georgia the 95-yard touchdown drive with two pass interference calls. You know, and one of them, as Jeremy pointed out today, if Alante doesn't tackle the guy, if he doesn't let him get behind him, it's third and nine from, what, around Georgia's 20? I mean, that that really changes the complexion of the thing. So, again, I mean, I, the, the final numbers don't don't paint the whole picture. I thought the defense certainly played well enough to win in that game. All right, so offensively, obviously a meltdown in the third quarter after having really not doing anything in the first half other than the, than the two plays. Now, the two plays count, no, no question about that. But if you're Jim Chaney um, and you're Jeremy Pruitt in conversation with Jim Chaney, what what's the move? What 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 do you got to do on offense? What do you got to what what do you got to have to to get the offense back on track? Obviously, they were pretty successful against Missouri, um, who played much better against LSU than I anticipated. And obviously, LSU's got a lot of problems. We'll hit on the SEC a little bit later in the podcast here. But what what what's the what's the fix, if you will, from from the Georgia game heading into the Kentucky game offensively? What do you, well, what do you guys want to see more of? They've got to get healthier on the offensive line. You know, Wanye, you know, basically missed all of Thursday's practice with neck spasms. They weren't sure he was going to even be able to go. Um, he was able to play. Uh, obviously, Brandon Kennedy's a little bit banged up and didn't play great Saturday. Um, Jerome Carvin's got turf toe. Riley Locklear's out with the labrum. Still trying to get through it, but he's, you know, more just kind of, you know, spot situational type stuff than he has being able to a guy that can come in and play right away. K-Ron is somehow so far down the depth chart that he can't even get on the field when they are, you know, mutilated um, by, you know, nicks, cuts, and bruises. So, uh, <laughs> Which surprises me. Does it, I, mean, I mean, he played well at the end of last year, I thought. Yeah, but uh, somehow he's uh, nowhere near uh, being able to play this year. So, uh, um, you know, it, Tennessee's got to get better on the offensive line and allow them to be able to, I think, you know, I think not all of it because, you know, everybody deserves their fair share of criticism from Saturday. But, you know, I'm not sure how, you know, how creative they could be when they weren't sure who was going to be starting where uh, on the offensive line. And I know, I mean, I, I, I second everything you said about the OL. I, I'll move on to one of Brent's favorite subjects is the, the receivers getting off the line. I mean, you had Josh Palmer, who I think is looking like a, a pro more and more every week, had four catches for 71 yards. The rest of the wideouts combined had, I think it's it's eight for 57 or seven for 57. So, I mean, they averaged about eight yards of reception while Palmer's pushing 20. And uh, it's I don't know what the freshman can do any better, but it's it's time to find out. Can't do any worse. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Agreed. Yeah, I'm with you, Rob. I think that it, and and again, I know those guys missed two weeks in, in fall camp, and and some of them missed more than two weeks in fall camp with contact tracing and all those things else. But but one of the things that we talked about in the preseason, uh, Austin, was that you know Jim Cheney can kind of spoon feed the offense to him, get a little package for him, get him a few plays here and there. It's it's time to do that with Malachi Weidman. It's time to do that with Jimmy Holiday, and it's time to do that with Jimmy Callaway. Maybe they can't come out there and make all the route adjustments, but you can you can give them a half dozen plays a game where maybe they don't run but one or two different routes. They just run it out of a different formation. But you can do that and see what you got there. I think you've got to you've got to find a way to get those guys sprinkled in. They don't need to be 
you're the focal point of the receiver room. They're not ready yet, but can you sprinkle them in where you don't have Jacob Warren flexed out, a big tight end? I mean, Jacob, you know, the kid, he, he's, he moves well, but he don't move that well. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Brandon, you know, Johnson is, is limited as far as speed. Um, Cedric Tillman's not a burner. I mean, you've got to, to me, you've got to find ways to sprinkle them in. You can't get caught out there with Warren, Tillman, Jennings, and, and Palmer on the field at one time. Well, I, and I think that you have, I think, I do think this for all the criticism that Jim Chaney has gotten, and I don't think Jim had a very good day. I, I do think the incorporation of the of these two tailbacks into the passing game is a good move because I don't think either one of these two tailbacks are lining up, give it to them 20 times a game between the tackles and go play run, run game football. So I, I do think that there was some, some positives there, uh, but you know, they, they, those receivers have to play better. They've got to get off the line of scrimmage better. No question uh, about that. And, and Rob, I think the, the other thing that you have to do too is those guys got to pass protect better. I, I, I thought the tight ends, um, the tight end pass protection and the running back pass protection and, and blitz pickup stuff was not very good. I thought they got they got bowled over multiple times. Well, P- PFF agrees with you. We'll put the numbers up on the board later this afternoon. But uh, Eric Gray and Ty Chandler were both in the in the thirties, which is, I mean, as low as I've ever seen. Cade, Cade was in the thirties. I mean, the, Trey was the only offensive line. Trey graded out at sixty, which is barely, barely passing. And he was the highest offensive lineman by a pretty wide margin, but you're, you're spot on, or at least for the PFF numbers with Chandler and Gray, they got just ravaged in, in, in their grades. You know, I, I, I'm going to go out there. There was a thread on the board on Monday evening about, you know, one of the biggest problems is Tennessee doesn't have a real running back. And I, I can't really disagree with that. I mean, like, you know, Ty Chandler's fine and Eric Gray's fine, but you know, those guys are, to me, like situational type players or toys, as, as Tennessee would call it, if you looked at the recruiting. If you're, if you're talking about them as NFL prospects, they're specialists. You know, they're yeah, I mean, like, down specialist type guys. Yeah, you know? no doubt. And so, like, you know, can you give it to them? Yeah, you could give it to them 20 times in a game, but, like, I don't think you can do that the entire season. You know, I think Tennessee's going to have to find somebody that can – that can help them with bigger, you know, with, with, you know, more experienced defensive lines just to lean on them, you know, and, and if, that, if that's T Hodge, it's T Hodge. If that's, you know, D Beckwith, it's D Beckwith, somebody, you know, because I think right now, you know, Tennessee's just not super dynamic there. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, Eric Gray's a dynamic player out in space, but space in, in Brent in this league trying to run between the tackles, I mean, like, a sliver, you know, somebody, some people got to be able to make a sliver work. And then, you know, Saturday they didn't have anything. Well, I think both those guys have been arm tackled by linebackers too much. Okay. I mean, in this league, if you can get the running back to the linebacker level, okay. To the second level, I'm not saying the guy makes it, you know, the running back always makes a linebacker miss. It's not realistic, but that running back has got to be falling forward and not getting knocked backwards at the line at the linebacker level. And I think that's an area where, uh, Tennessee's running game lacks a little bit right now um, because I just don't think those guys can break um, a, a ton of tackles. Um, you know, now can they in open space, can they make a guy miss? Yeah, I think Eric Gray has shown that he can, but I don't know that they're going to run through many arm tackles at the running back position against linebackers as, as a bigger back would 
So maybe that is T. Hodge, or or maybe that is deep back. We'll see what you know what they elect to do there. I, I think I think who the third back is and how they incorporate one is an interesting story moving forward. I think another interesting story, Austin, is what defensively what do they do at the at the star position? Was that just rush from Sean Schamberger from being back from game one and 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 that's it, or is Jeremy Pruitt? you know, still open to some other things there. I don't think he was elated at all with Schamberger's play, um, you know, in his first game back against Georgia. I think he I think he made several busts and, and did some things wrong. Now, everybody did, so I'm not picking on him. But, you know, they played Slaughter there. Then they went Theo Jackson there. Now Schamberger there. Is it all Schamberger play through it, or do they start messing around and looking at some other guys at the star position? Well, before we go any further, I do want to clarify. It's not like I'm saying Eric Gray and Ty Chandler are bad players. I just think that can, they're never going to be consistent. Like Eric Gray may have 175 yards one game, and then he may have 30 the next. Like that, that I just think that from it being a consistent 90 to 120 y- yards a week. Every week, I, I don't think that's those two players. Anyways, so to your point, I, I think Tennessee's going to experiment at, at star. You know, Kentucky don't throw it a whole lot. So, like, you have a little bit of uh, – you have kind of almost a week off when it comes to, you know, having a ton of pressure on, on your on your star. So, maybe they give Danico Slaughter more look. I, I could see them moving Bryce inside and playing Kenneth George and Alante. But Alante just didn't play very well last week either. So, I mean, I could see them going – away from that. So I, I, I'll be surprised if it's Schamberger on Saturday. The staff was none too happy with him uh, when they left uh, Athens, Georgia. Um, several of the busts in the middle of the field were on number 12. And, you know, it's not like he's not been, you know, healthy. I mean, he just, he missed because of, you know, off, off the field type things. It wasn't like he had a hamstring and he was recovering from that. He's been healthy and ready to play. He just wasn't able to play the first two weeks. So, um, you know, I think that's a problem if, if he's already busting in his first game action of the year. Any chance, Keyshawn, not, not at star, but just that he plays and gives Jeremy some flexibility with, with somebody else? I mean, I think it's possible, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I, I think more likely it's Danico at, at star. And then, you know, I think they'll go with Kenneth George and, uh, you know, Bryce at corners, you know, with Alante being the third. Well, this this game may set up pretty decent for Alante because, I mean, you have to tackle on the corner. You know, he's pretty good at run coverage, run support coming off the corner, um, that that type thing because they don't stretch the field with you as much as some other teams do. Yeah, I think that's the best thing Alante's done is I think he's been pretty good in run support. He's just, you know, kind of falling asleep some in, in some coverage situations that – you know, need to be better. And, and that he's, well, he's so good in that area, Brent, that you go back to a year ago, BYU, he, he gets caught looking in the backfield, lets the guy get behind him on the big play. Same thing the other night on the pass interference point penalty. He gets caught looking in the backfield because he is so good in run support and he enjoys it, I believe, the contact that, you know, George Pickens gets behind him and then they throw up the wounded duck and then Pickens gets the, you know, the Rick Steiner clothesline from Alante. So, yeah, yeah I mean, he's he certainly got to play better in pass coverage. All right, let's talk about Kentucky a little bit. You mentioned they don't throw it, Rob. It's, it's that Eddie Grand um, strange offense from the standpoint of, 
you know, they, they still haven't been able to find a quarterback who can really do anything and stretch the field, yet they keep finding a way to be effective offensively in the way that they sort of run this single wing offense. That's exactly the that's exactly the term I was gonna use to you know, describe it. Which is which is kind of crazy, but wh- why do you think that works? I mean, look, I, I'm not saying they're winning the division or anything like that, but why do you think that Eddie Grant's been able to find something? Is it just is it just because it's so different than everybody else? I mean, I th- I give them credit. Just I mean, they obviously coach it up and you know practice the heck out of it. And you know, I'll I'll equate it with you know Navy or, or something. You know, they don't you know they're not going to win ten games doing that. But if they're you know just playing average competition, I mean, they can get it done without having a passing game. Getting it done in the SEC though is is a whole other level. You have to give Coach Grant a tip of the cap, but I just don't. They don't have a Lynn Bowden top you know, athlete that can just turn, you know, turn a three yard run into an explosive, you know, chunk play. I'm, I just, I think Tennessee can handle their offense. I, I think if you don't have a dual threat guy or a, or a legit, you know, pro style quarterback that can spin it, I think Jeremy is, is really good at, at kind of, you know, limiting what you're going to be able to do. Austin, this is going to be on Tennessee's defensive ends to, to make sure that they don't let guys leak out and contain on the zone read and stuff like that. So, I mean, here's, that's the challenge for, you know, Morvin Joseph, who showed up in this game. Tyler Barron, still the challenge for DeAndre Johnson, uh, who will be back after his Ugh. dumb headbutt. I'll just call it what it is, dumb headbutt play that cost him, you know, three quarters of that football. Three Give Roman Harrison some props now. He yep. showed up finally. Yep, he did. The question is, can they play with the discipline they need to on the edge to not give up, you know, big plays in the zone read, right, Austin? No, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, Kentucky's not dynamic with the football in their hands. You guys just highlighted what they like to do. They do it, you know, they do it very well. Um, but at the same time, if you can get up on Kentucky and, and establish yourself early, they don't necessarily have the offense that's going to come roaring back, which is what Tennessee did two years ago when Kentucky rolled in here and had such a good team. Tennessee was able to get out and was able to shut them down early and get out offensively. And of course, Jarrett threw the Hail Mary there right there before the half. And I don't think Kentucky ever recovered from it. So, um, you know, Tennessee, I think it's got to get out of the, the blocks offensively and defensively. They have to tackle well. They have to play discipline football and assignment football. If they don't play assignment football, Kentucky's going to have some plays. I, I didn't see any of the Kentucky – Mississippi State game, but obviously State was awful if they threw six interceptions. Not saying Kentucky doesn't have, you know, secondary guys, but if you throw six interceptions in a game, you're just playing really bad football because it's the same Kentucky secondary that had a hard time with Ole Miss. Now, I understand everybody's having a hard time with Ole Miss and what they're doing offensively right now, but, it, but I mean, this is, you know, I, I think that's more of an anomaly than saying, you know, that that's the no-fly zone in the secondary with Kentucky's defensive backs. Yeah, and that, that reminds me of the pot, not next week's podcast, but the one after. I'm going to be in the Caribbean because I sold my Mike Leach stock the Monday after the LSU game. <laughs> so open open date, I'm going to I'm going to bounce out. I start saying you might be able to retire at that point because I mean that that guy went from the coaching Hall of Fame to the Hall of Shame faster than anybody we sh- we've ever we seen. We shorted Mike Leach the, the Monday after the LSU game. That was certainly did. All right, let's. But yeah, let's, I mean they had. I mean Kentucky had what 173 yards of total offense. Yes, and, and, and controlled it, and we're in control the whole night because Mississippi State could not do anything offensively. Uh, all right, as we put a bow tie on this podcast, we got to hit a little bit of the SEC and what was just an absolute 
wild, crazy, crazy day. I mean, Ole Miss can't stop anybody, as we know. But, I mean, are they going to put 600 yards up against everybody they play, Rob? Uh, Lane, Lane, Lane should have onside kicked it every time. I mean, if he steals one possession in that game, they might win. You know, you're probably right, especially once it was kind of a back-and-forth type deal. Yeah. Like, why, why not? I mean, like – I mean, unless you were hoping Alabama has a bad snap or you know, botches a handoff. How about Lane not bringing his team out for pregame warm-ups? How, I mean, that's, that's the most Lane thing ever, isn't it? No, it's, 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 it, I think it's neat. Uh, it's a very Benny Hammonds, the former head coach at Gatlinburg Pittman. He did that for years. You're not going to see Lane and Benny Hammonds compared very often. <laughs> he, he, no. he, yeah, correct. He would warm up uh, off-site. We had them on Rivalry Thursday one year. That He warmed up off-site. Literally, the bus rolled in. They, we did all this live in the open. They walked off the bus, ran through the banner, and Ron Durbin had a diving catch down the uh, far sideline about 30 seconds in, uh, you know, that got him down inside the five. He used to do that all the time. So, like, I think it's kind of a, you know, it is kind of a, you know, get in your head type of of move by Lane Kevin, but why not? I mean, again, Lane's playing with house money, especially this year, but but more so specifically when he's playing Alabama. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, with where they're at right now, I mean, that, that they, they, you know, nobody expected anything out of them. All right, I've said this on the 10 things I think I think I had it in Friday's deal. Barry Odom was the best coordinator hire made in the offseason. Okay, now Jeff Levy at Ole Miss. <laughs> Jeff Levy's pretty good at Ole Miss. Here, here's my question. Bo Pelini, Chad Morris. Who's been – I mean, I guess Pelini's been the bigger dud to this point, but Chad oh. Morris and, and Auburn's offense not been exactly award-winning either. No, I mean, it's – I mean, Pelini is at the bottom, and it's not cl- – I'm surprised he's got a job this week. I mean, I wouldn't have put it past Ed, Ed, Eddie Oda. Well, they play, Flor- they play Florida this week, a Florida offense that can score. So, I- I'll be shocked if he's, the he- if he's the defense coordinator next week. 50 and a half. That's an over-under in Florida's points. What do you got, AP? You know, I would probably have to take uh, under. I think they'll score 50. <laughs> I mean, they just gave up 45 to a Missouri team that came in here and, and scored one touchdown. Yeah, I mean, that's the craziest thing that, I've, that I saw all weekend was the fact Are they, are they packing it out at the swamp? <laughs> no. I don't think so. I think I saw where the chancellor came out and said they were going to – Stay status quo. Do you, right. do you think the chance choke Mullen though after he said all that? I'm sure. However, I, I, I was more surprised by Ole Miss rolling up 600 than I was Missouri. I mean, oh. both are equally crazy, but seeing Alabama and Nick Saban give up 600 yards of total offense was just, you know, I because I, I, I thought I thought Kiffin would have a couple things early and would make a couple plays early, and then that would be the end of it. You know. Never dreamed that they would do it all night long and, and have a chance to win that football game. Well, now now, now they think now Georgia Georgia, I think feels like they're they're you know they're they're very capable of going in Tuscaloosa and winning now. You know because they think that you know Stetson Bennett and the offense can move the ball and score, and their defense won't allow the you know Alabama offense to have that much success. And speaking, of, I've been really impressed with Mac Jones. I didn't I didn't see that he he's played well. I didn't see him being capable of that. No, not what, not from what we saw out of him a year ago after uh, Tua got hurt in that Tennessee game. He was pretty. He was pretty good though there at the bowl game and, and he was. Uh, he Auburn. Was. 
he was. I mean, he was throwing some dimes Saturday night, man. I mean, he was, and and they still have. I mean, they lost a couple of future Pro Bowlers last year, but there's they still got some skill at wideout. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing Georgia offensively have the creativity um, that that Kiffin had. Uh, for them to to put up a bunch of points against the against Alabama, I think this one's going to be much more in Nick Saban's comfort zone. Rob, when you talk about style of play, I mean Georgia may go a little bit fast, try to go a little bit fast, but not like the Ole Miss speed. I don't I don't I, see I, Kirby signing off on a game plan like Kiffin had. No, you know and I, I mean? yeah, and I don't see. I just I mean they don't have the mobile. I mean Stetson Bennett's got some athletic ability, but he can't do what what. Matt Corral and what they're doing in the run game. I don't think again that with. Do you think Nick and them will steal signals again? <laughs> steal signals, absolutely. It's always something. Hey, as we wrap it up, let's say this: How bad does the league look with what happened in the Arkansas? Albany? Oh my God! And how God, bad? Was, how bad was that explanation that they put out on? Monday? It was terrible. You're better off just to say the officials screwed up. We apologize. It is what it is. I mean, just. Absolutely bizarre. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I've seen a lot of football, Hubbard. I know you have too, but the backwards, the backwards spike <laughs> and, and lateral. And they acknowledged that, but then it basically said it took Arkansas too long to recover it, to call it a clean recovery. Well, I thought I thought it, they said that because the whistles blew, you know, some of the players quit. And, so and it wasn't an immediate, re- it wasn't an immediate recovery or it whatever. It was a clear else. recovery, but not an immediate clear recovery. <laughs> Whatever, whatever that talking, means. Talking I about mean, splitting hairs. Yeah, they just totally botched that one, which is unfortunate for Sam Pittman and his staff, who have done a really Jeez. nice job over there. I mean, I was getting ready to say they're they're pretty. You've done a better job than Sam Pittman. Maybe Lane Kiffin. I mean, two rookie coaches that have come in and really gotten off the nice starts. Yeah, they certainly have. But for Tennessee fans and for Vol fans, it's about what the Vols can do against Kentucky coming up on Saturday. We will break down that game throughout the remainder of the week with all of our regular coverage. Rob will have the matchup piece coming up on Thursday. We'll have the War Room. We'll have 10 Things, I think. We'll have the Mailbag Podcast, the Rocky Top Roundtable, all of our weekly coverage to get you ready for Tennessee and Kentucky in Neyland Stadium at noon on Saturday. Hey, let me tell you about our friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Remember, if you're in the need for any kind of HVAC repair of any kind, Give them a call at 865-299-2290. You can book an appointment online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. They'll send a technician out to give you exactly what you need. They won't give you a sales pitch. They'll tell you exactly what you need. If it's a simple repair, if it's a major repair, they have financing for you. They're going to take care of you. So give them a call today at 865-299-2290. That's Blue Water Climate Control. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.